0: this edition of the Iowa Business Report.
1: Never before has manufacturing and the importance of what we do, I think in, in this generation, right, since World War II has been manufacturing been so front and center.
0: We'll tell you about efforts to help boost the manufacturing workforce. Iowa's businesses continue to be optimistic about growth. And you'll hear from a mother and daughter who each started businesses helping spark new interest in one community's downtown area. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of July 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. If it sounds like you've heard this before, well, you have. Iowa, and the country as a whole, need workers who are suited for the jobs available. That's particularly true in the manufacturing sector, which is a very different type of work than was the case in generations past. The Manufacturing Institute is the workforce development and education partner of the National Association of Manufacturers, the goal is to tell the story of manufacturing and offer programs to help boost workforce levels. Carolyn Lee is executive director of the Manufacturing Institute. I asked her to assess how we got to this point where there was such a worker shortage.
1: There's a number of factors. There's no one thing. I think it's that we kind of overshot on what the definition of success is was here in the US and that success in the American dream meant a four-year degree a home you know in a picket fence and part of that came out of the post-war boom certainly for many millions of people that is a definition of success to be sure but there's many pathways to success and many of them travel through community college and technical colleges and training and so really what I like to focus on rather than degrees or lack thereof is really skills skills are the coin of the realm today And so I think that as manufacturing changed over the last 20, 40, 50 years, and manufacturing has evolved so much, you are two-thirds more likely to enter manufacturing if you have someone in your family who's been in manufacturing. And I think that's an awareness thing. I came from manufacturing, my dad and grandfather were in the sector. And so I grew up hearing them talk about and lament the fact that they need people with skills to do these jobs and how important it is that we make things here in the US. And of course, all of that is true and have remained true, but we have to talk about the pathways and the opportunities that may or may not come just through a college degree. And so we need to broaden the horizons on that. And and so what I like to say is, there are great manufacturing careers available today with eight weeks of training or eight years of training. And it's truly, we need all of the above.
0: I go back to when I started college 40 years ago. And so I'm a product of the greatest generation. From their standpoint, you go to school, you get the college degree. Manufacturing is very different now than it was two and three generations ago, as you alluded to. This is not your father or grandfather's, literally in your case, manufacturing, is it?
1: No, not at all. And that's what's funny. So I remember going to the plant, the factory with dad when I was little And um, what I see back when we used to tour all the time, what I got to see when I'd go to the companies and go to manufacturers today was so different. You know, there are some similarities. When I toured, actually, Sukup Manufacturing was one of the last factories I got to go to before the the shutdown it seemed. And you know, what, what we saw was very similar. You were you're bending metal and teams are working together to create things. And of course, you know, it was to the higher goal and the purpose of what the companies were making. Those things have changed, but how we do it and some of the technologies that we use are so different. There are many facilities that we go to that, you know, you could eat off the floor. It is so clean and it is light and bright. And that is not what I remember from the screw machine industry, you know, business my dad had when I was young. And that has changed so much, but we have to do a better job manufacturing as a career, because we have fewer people in manufacturing and we have this huge need today because of the comment, you know, earlier about how you're more likely to go into the sector if you know someone in it, the awareness of the opportunities in manufacturing has changed, I'd say, since my grandfather's generation. Uh, You know, the opportunities in the sector, it's people just don't know it. We have to tell them our story. And that to me is one of the biggest drivers of our gap, which is why the National Association of Manufacturers and the Institute launched our Creators Wanted campaign to tell the story of modern manufacturing and change the perception so people see not only future workers, but their parents and other influencers see the opportunity so that they know that these are rewarding, well-paying, durable careers for their loved ones to enter.
0: I spent 25 years teaching college students in liberal arts curriculum. And there would be many times, first of all, I would look at someone and they didn't want to be there. They had no business being there. They had no aptitude for it, but they only knew of the one path. To your point, they had not been given the full information about what was available. And then they would rack up, especially at a private college, forty, fifty, a $100,000 of debt, and then they were making very little money in their chosen field it's almost the reverse with regard to some of these jobs in quote unquote manufacturing, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. And that's the thing. So I went to a a liberal arts college and I'm a poli-sci major and started my career in Capitol Hill and lamented how little I was paid as a staffer. And my father always said to me, well, if you were a machinist, you know, you'd be making about a hundred grand right now. Now I had no aptitude for that, but I feel like I've turned it around by, by this role. But the people aren't aware and that's why our things like our fame our federation for advanced manufacturing education apprenticeship initiative that we now operate that was founded by toyota You know, participants in FAME today, they have a 21 month program. It is intense, no doubt. It is earn and learn. You're coming out though with an associate's degree and training as an advanced maintenance technician. Everybody needs those jobs filled. That is a high demand job. And what we found through a study that was released last year by Brookings Institution and Opportunity America was that graduates of FAME at the same technical school in Kentucky Five years after graduation earned $45,000 a year more than graduates of the same program who were not part of FAME because of the method and how they teach FAME. And it is paired with what you learn, what you do in your day job. And those companies, 85% of those companies sponsoring students through FAME hire those folks on the way out. So they've come out with you know a fantastic job a fantastic career path on in demand skill set and no college debt and for many people they don't even know that that exists and so how do we change the mindset of this opportunity that it is really about gaining skills skills that is your coin of the realm right it's your currency that makes you a high in demand person which of course as we all know in economics helps you demand a wage right that those opportunities are there and accessible And that's the thing. But what we also have to change the narrative about, I think, in this country more broadly, is that education is not a destination. You're not done. You know, it is lifelong learning. And it's that compilation of skills, what you learn throughout your career and what you continue to add to your resume, your own toolbox, if you will, that's what makes you even more in demand and keeps you relevant. And that's a huge opportunity.
0: Carolyn Lee is executive director of the Manufacturing Institute online at themanufacturinginstitute.org. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, July 6th. Now, there's much more to be learned on this topic, so we'll have more of this conversation in a future edition of this program. Still to come, more proof that Iowa's businesses are positive about their near-term future. And in our business profile, a pair of businesses leading a boost in Grundy Centers downtown. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by the Iowa Family Business Center by UNI. Sponsors of an event in Boone on August 19th called Tour, Lunch, and Connect with the Fairway Family. Learn more by going to AdvanceIowa.com. Last year at this time, many businesses were just starting to reopen in the wake of the global pandemic. Now, many appear to be more than ready to make up for lost time. The latest survey of members of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry shows great optimism for growth in the third
2: quarter. Mike Ralston is president of Iowa ABI. Our members tend to be optimistic anyway. You have to be in the face of a global pandemic. What else are you going to do? But uh, Boy, uh, almost 80% of them said they expect sales to expand in the next quarter. And that's been uh, kind of the, the uh, line for a long time now, several quarters that sales are up. But that's, that's really terrific. I, I think uh, something like 72% of them said they were going to hire if they can find the people. So that's good. That's another thing that's also consistent. And then lastly, I'd say the thing that really uh, continues to surprise me is consistent plans to uh, make major capital expenditures. A multi-million dollar piece of equipment a physical plant expansion uh 75 percent of respondents said they were going to do that so that's all incredibly good news and also sort of consistent with where we've been it has been strong these last couple of quarters certainly it's much improved over a year ago though and i think these numbers are sort of confirmation about what we're seeing nationally that uh, folks are ready to spend uh they didn't go anywhere last year they stayed home uh, they didn't spend a lot of money. Maybe they received some uh, assistance from the federal government. So they've got money. So people are buying things. And that sort of is reflected in that uh, sales uh, projection. And uh, boy, I hope that's accurate. Certainly, uh, what's new in this survey is a heightened sense of concern about uh, supply chain. And when people hear supply chain, they think, oh, that means that they can't get what they need. Well, it may mean that. It may mean that they can sort of get what they need, but the quality is off from what they usually get. Or it may mean that they can get what they need, but the price is, you know, sort of substantially increased. And then what do they do? Do they pass it on? And so all those very different supply chain issues were part of the responses to this survey. And that's that's a little new for us.
0: More information about the Iowa Association of Business and Industries Quarterly Business Survey can be found on their website, iowaabi.org. And you can follow ABI on Twitter, at IowaABI. Coming up, one family, multiple businesses. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa. If business succession planning is on your mind, consider a worker co-op. The next free seminar on the topic is scheduled for this Tuesday, July 13th. For more, go to AdvanceIowa.com. In our business profile segment, not one, but two Grundy Center businesses. About five years ago, Jill Krausman opened the Landmark Bistro. Around the same time, her daughter, Katie Lewis, started her own business, now known as 319 Decor & Design. Those businesses are part of a vibrant downtown business district. I spoke with them via Zoom on Wednesday, July 7th and asked Jill Krausman where the idea to start a restaurant came from.
3: I just decided just on some research through Main Street, Iowa and just involved in our town Main Street stuff that we definitely needed another restaurant in town. And so I did some research and decided that I would open a restaurant.
0: Now that all sounds real easy, but you obviously knew the statistics that show that restaurants don't have a great success rate. What concerns did you have and how did you make it a success?
3: Well, my banker reminded me that of very first. (laughs) (laughs) I did get a lot of help in Cedar Falls and they helped me do a business plan and started looking for a building and just kind of thought out what was needed and and what it was going to cost to open. And it was a little scary. I shed a few tears um, at the bank once when they said they didn't think it would work. But then I sought out a different building and um, did some refiguring. And five years later, over five years later, here we are.
0: So Katie, how did you decide to go into business? Having seen what your mom went through, uh, those aren't easy (laughs) things to do to run a small business.
4: So the same year that she started the Landmark, I actually graduated college. So I'd say she had a pretty good influence um, going through school very recently. I mean, I was at UNI myself, so I did marketing for a degree as well. So I was in the business school. So I think just watching her go through it and then knowing that it's something I wanted to do, but I kind of had it in my back pocket for like a five-year plan. I was going to Orange City to uh, do an internship because after we graduate, we have to do an internship. And I was like, I thought I'd just stay there for a while. But turns out God had other plans. And long story short, I got back to Granny Center and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. And actually, the lady I worked for, she sat me down before I left and we were like bawling. You know, it's like a movie. Like I felt (laughs) like I was divorcing somebody. Like we became really close. And she's like, you're too talented to work for anybody else. She's like, you have to open your own business. And I guess that was the push that I needed just to do it. Pretty sure my parents were terrified. I'm crying now. Remembering, it, honestly. (laughs) It was crazy. Uh, They were like, no, you shouldn't. Like, why do you want to work for yourself? You know, just normal parent stuff. Like, just you should really work for someone else first. That's a really big jump. And so I actually just rented like a small office for $175 a month. It was seriously like a closet, like tiny. And I ran my business out of there um, for two years. And then I started my brick and mortar with my retail after that. So technically I started my business the same year as her, but it just was a few months
3: after. We definitely, I would say definitely leaned on each other and gave each other good advice through the whole thing because we kind of. But I will say when Katie went to school for interior design, I was really nervous that I tell this story a lot. I was nervous that she would have to live far away in a big, you know, in Chicago or in Minneapolis, whatever. Um, never dreamt, I guess, that she would be able to do what she's done in Granny Center.
4: Well, I never thought
3: you would open a restaurant either. Right. (laughs)
4: Some people have midlife crisis and that's what
0: happens. So so you may have had yours a couple of decades earlier. Who knows? Right.
4: Uh, Right. Yeah, I don't know.
0: (laughs) So Katie, tell me about your business. Again, you started it just on your own, but then expanded into a storefront. Talk about the business itself and how you made that transition so that, again, it's a storefront right there on Main Street.
4: So I think the biggest reason why I started um, in that small office, like I said, was first of all, my parents are big influences and they were just super nervous and said, let's start small with this. If you're going to do it, you know, you have nothing to lose if you start small. And so I think that was a really good move for me because I kind of could save up. And I luckily had really cool people that still like trusted my interior design background and trusted my skills enough that they would hire me out of. A little tiny office like that. I mean, I sold cabinetry, which is crazy. I just had like six doors on my wall, like of, that's samples. all I had of samples, and like that kind of got it kick started. And I guess just being able to save up and then kind of be able to move into my space it, again, kind of a fairy tale story. Like my banker and his wife, who was my deck and design teacher in high school, bought this building, and they were like, "We really think you should move into it." And so I did. And then I pushed mostly my dad. I, mean, I think you were on board by then, but my dad was like, don't do retail. You don't need retail. Your services are doing great. I was like, retail just makes sense with interior design. Like if I'm going to sell them cabinets and countertops, I might as well sell them the picture that hangs on their wall and the rug under their table. Like it just goes together. Like it brings people in, blah, blah, blah. And so I pushed for it and thank God I did. Cause it's, it's a huge part of my business and, in college, I managed a boutique, a clothing boutique. And so like I did all the visual merchandising. I went to market with her in Vegas and Dallas. So I had the experience of doing all of that. And then plus at Holland house, when I interned there, I went to market with her. So, I mean, I already had had the experience. So I just felt like, let's do this. And I started small. I mean, if I look back at pictures of what my store looked like then versus now it's dramatic. My inventory has more than doubled in yeah. four years.
0: Jill, you had mentioned that the town needed another restaurant, and so that's why you went into it. And I know driving through Grundy Center, as I have over time living in this area, businesses come and go, but there were some that were mainstays, their time in business ended. And so it was a real time of transition as it is in many county seat towns. What do you think your family, through both of you, what do you think you've been able to do to either inject some new life into the downtown, or are you seeing that this is now spurring others to make a leap as you each did?
3: I think both, actually. I think I've had other people from out of towns that have came and and talked to me about starting businesses elsewhere, Mm -hmm. just on things that I've learned through opening. And every day I hear comments from people about how our businesses have reflected our main street and the business that we've brought to Grundy Center because of it. An anesthesiologist came to our hospital to kind of check it out or whatever, and he stopped in they, the hospital, told him to come to the Landmark, so he did, and we got talking, and I said, it takes a whole village. If it wasn't for our hospital, as an example, to be in Grundy, I wouldn't get the people that are having therapy done surgeries, and surgeries and all that stuff. And I, ups. and in my mind, I was thinking of this one particular man that had double hip replacement, blah, blah, blah. And that same guy just was in the landmark today. And I explained to him, he said, I'm, I'm back again. Cause I just had a colonoscopy done. <laughs> so it's like, it does, it's the courthouse, it's the schools. It's mm-hmm. all of that stuff that, that creates um, business for us. And if w- they weren't there, we wouldn't be and vice versa. I think people come to Grundy to eat because Katie has a shop and there's other beautiful shops in town or someone's getting a prescription at the drugstore and they decide to come to town and eat while they're there so it, it really truly takes our whole main street and because our whole main street is vibrant I think that's what makes us all so successful.
0: Jill Krausman of the Landmark Bistro in Grundy Center online at thelandmarkbistro.com and Katie Lewis of 319 Decor and Design with locations in both Grundy Center and Marshalltown, online at 319DecorAndDesign.com. These businesses have utilized the services of the Small Business Development Center, SBDC. The outlet at the University of Northern Iowa is one of 15 centers across the state that provides no-cost, confidential, and customized business assistance to entrepreneurs, startups, and existing businesses. To get more information about their services or to request counseling from one of the 15 locations, go online to iowasbdc.org. That's IOWASBDC.org. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR extras and IBR business profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. Subscribe using your favorite distributor, and you'll never miss an episode of either the Iowa Business Report daily or weekend programs. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, Click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.